I think very often, you know, I think very often when people think about the Bible who actually probably see the Bible from afar a lot of the time rather than spending any real time of it, they pick up bits of the Bible almost by osmosis rather than by careful study. Very often we end up with ideas and thoughts from the Bible which become caricatures. They're not truly what the Bible is actually saying. Uh, And what we often have then is a picture which is describing itself as the true picture, which bears some resemblance, but isn't really what it's all about. I think this particular sermon of Jesus, the first sermon that he preaches, uh, has a lot of uh, those things about it. Uh, as so many ideas have entered into the, uh, the kind of common language. Uh, and this is one little section. Judge not, lest you be judged. It's so well known. It's one of those things which probably lots of people who've heard about the Bible uh, talk about. And they, 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 we really love that bit because it makes us have some kind of a response when somebody comes at us with a criticism uh, and it's uh, very often it's taken out of context and it's used in a kind of caricature way. I want to spend some time this afternoon just looking at these six verses. They're really powerful verses and they're coming towards the end of the the first major, the bulk of the section of Jesus's Um, Sermon on the Mount. We've called this series The Walk of Life, and what we're really conscious about doing is not taking this little section and making a caricature out of it. We could do that, couldn't we, if we make the mistake of taking these verses and spending all of our time focusing just on these verses and not making sure that we attach them to the rest of what Jesus has said making sure that we see them in the context of what he's been saying, see how they fit, see why he says them at this particular point in time. That's avoiding a caricature of these particular verses. Yet at the same time, we can't get away from the opening uh, verse in chapter 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. That's what it says. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Do not judge. There we go. That's what he says. Judging has just seeped into our whole culture. Everything we judge, we measure, we kind of critique. Saturday and Sunday night TV for about the past decade, is just packed, absolutely ram-packed with judging, isn't it? Um, uh, Those of you who are old enough uh, to remember, um, uh, was it New Faces, I think it was called, was the old kind of judging program. And then what was the one with the clapometer? 
Opportunity knocks, that's the one, opportunity knocks. Yeah, yeah that was kind of judging by other people. I suppose the clapometer gave a bit of you know, audience participation as the cardboard needle moves around at the bottom of the screen. It's kind of moved on TV a bit, hasn't it? Um, what we've moved to now, interestingly, X Factor, Strictly, all of that kind of thing, we've moved to a point where everybody has the right to be the judge of other people. Isn't it interesting, the paradox that we've entered into in our society? On the one hand, we want the right to judge people on all sorts of things. And yet, on the other hand, we, we absolutely hold on to the idea that you mustn't judge me. Isn't that strange? That we live in a society that does those two things. We want to judge everything, and we don't ever want to be judged. I I, I think to some extent, we we need to be honest and say, you know, we can't have it every way. That's what we want. We want to judge, but we don't want ever to be judged. But judging is, is really right in there. Don't forget, Jesus is saying this, in the light of everything that he's previously said. Remember the journey that we've been on over these past few weeks? What he's been saying is you need to understand what it is to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of the living God. It is to live a life which is aiming at an extraordinarily different pattern of life, a countercultural pattern of life. And yet at the same time, seeking to reach a standard which I am saying you will never reach. That's the paradox that Jesus presents. He says, here's the objective. This is what you should be aiming at. Yet you need to understand that you will never, ever achieve it. You've got to do both. Do you remember the, the, well, they might still be available, kites with two strings you've got to hold on to the two strings you've got if you don't the kite will crash you've got to hold on to those two things you've got to be aiming at this pattern of life and knowing that you will never ever achieve it and then at this point Jesus says and at the same time your attitude should be do not judge in other words what Jesus is introducing is not some kind of sort of weak idea of judging, you know, deciding whether they're a good singer or a good dancer. He's, he's He's saying you must not make assessment which is based on some kind of ethical, moral pattern of life which is aimed at the kind of goals that you should be aiming at. This is serious stuff that he's talking about, our tendency to judge. He says, do not judge. And yet at the same time, listen to very carefully to what he says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. That's really important. He doesn't say, don't judge because it's a really nasty thing to do. It's a really inappropriate thing to do. We should never, ever, ever judge anybody. That's just a bad thing. He's not saying that. He's not not condemning the idea 
of judging. (laughs) He's saying, don't you judge or you will be judged. Do you see the difference? Really important that we see that. What Jesus is saying as he, as he introduces this idea to us is he's saying that there is, there is an appropriate judge and an inappropriate judge. There is somebody who has the right to judge and there's somebody who doesn't have the right to judge. We hold exactly the same idea in our minds. We enter into a competition and... Um, I don't know what your thing is. Maybe it's painting or, I don't know, baking or something. Let's go for baking. You're into, you've, you've baked these kind of um, buns for the local fair and they turn up and the judge at the show hasn't got a clue about baking. They've got a, 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 a wheat intolerance so they can't even taste them. And, and they've got absolute, so they look at it and they say, don't like the paper that you've put the, the buns in. You know, it's, a, it's the wrong color. It's, it's just an inappropriate way of judging. It's, you can't judge in that way because you're not equipped to judge. In, that idea actually has been stretched into some of our TV, or almost caricaturing. With, uh, if you've had the misfortune to watch Splash, <laughs> you'll see Joe Brand the most inappropriate judge ever for a diving competition. That's kind of the idea, isn't it? It's making it so ridiculous on purpose. It's making it ridiculous on purpose. It's saying it's stupid to have this person judging something that she knows absolutely nothing about. And that's all kind of fine and a bit of fun in that context. But when it comes to Moral decisions when it comes to ethical assessment. Here's the issue. Whoever, whoever has the right to judge. That's what Jesus is saying. Whoever has the right to judge. When you consider what I've already said about the standards that I'm setting. Then none of you ever have the right to judge. It's not don't judge because judging is a bad thing. It's don't judge because you haven't got the framework, the the character, the person, the being. You have no right to judge because you are inappropriately positioned to judge. You can't do it. And Jesus, look at what Jesus says. Do not judge Or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be judged, it will be measured to you. In other words, there is actually going to come a day when your moral, your ethical, your pattern of life, your willingness and your desire to follow this pathway which Jesus has laid out, it will be judged. You know, that's actually, at the same time, a terrible thing and a great thing. It's a terrible thing because it brings a sense of seriousness to the demands that Jesus is making. And it's also a great thing because it means that the judgment of me 
is never ever going to be by you. <laughs> and the judgment of you is never ever going to be by me. And the frailty of me is never going to be able to impose itself on you. And the frailty of you is never going to impose itself on me. And yet at the same time, Jesus says, there is going to be a judge. How does that work? Again, we said it last week. The hint is actually in the speaker. Jesus says, there is going to be a time of judgment. And the judge is going to be an appropriate judge. Somebody who, who can judge. Now what have we already said? Let's just join the dots. He said, don't judge. The reason is that you haven't got any kind of appropriateness to be able to judge. So who possibly could? Somebody who fill, fulfills everything that has gone before. All of the demands that has been, Jesus has laid out, all of the ways in which he says righteousness is to be expressed in this world, all of the patterns that go between chapter 5 and chapter 6, the demands that Jesus makes, he says, anybody, anybody who can keep all of that becomes the appropriate judge, essentially. And that judgment is going to come. Paul said it. Years later, on Mars Hill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does repentance look like? What does repent mean, for a start? Great conversation this week. Repentance doesn't mean understanding. Repentance means a new trajectory of living. Often people describe repentance as turning around and heading in the other direction. What it actually means is a new trajectory of living, a new application of living. I'll never fully keep it, but it's living to a new order, a new demand, a new way of living. It's everything that we see in chapter 5 and chapter 6 becomes the new way, the new pattern, the new walk of life. And Jesus commands everyone to live that walk of life. Everyone, everywhere in the world, that's the thing that he says. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. And he's going to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. In other words, what Paul is saying is God has said, right now, repent. And I am going to judge the world by a man. What man has ever kept all of those demands? Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, this is the pattern that you should live, and you'll never keep it, so don't judge each other. But at the same time, because I did keep it, and because I am keeping it, I am appropriately equipped to become the judge. Do you see the pattern that... It, the genius of what God lays out as this pattern of salvation. He's laying out a pattern which says it is entirely appropriate that it is a man that judges. And yet it is entirely impossible that any man can ever be an appropriate judge save for the God-man, Jesus who comes in and fulfills all that has gone before in those demands. And then he says, I have appointed him to be the judge. 
And he has given proof of this to everyone. How? How is that proof laid out that Jesus is the appropriate judge by raising him from the dead, Paul says. That's the the mark, one of the reasons why Jesus is raised from the dead. It's the mark that says he becomes the appropriate judge. So so when Jesus says in verse 1 and 2, don't judge, he's not saying because judging is a bad thing. He's saying because judging is an impossible thing for you to do. Therefore don't, because there is somebody way more equipped, appropriately Uh, created and formed and lived and died and raised again so that he can become the one set apart to judge. We need judgment. We don't like it. We don't like that idea and yet we need it. We desperately need it. We look around the world today. We look at the atrocities in the world today And we absolutely know that those atrocities cannot go on without response, can they? We look at it and we say, that is, that should not happen. It is wrong that that should be allowed to continue. And yet what Jesus is saying is, at the same time we need to understand that we all, in one way or another, contribute to those atrocities. You've built a bonfire. Keep a bonfire going. You need to make sure that you keep keep the wood going into the fire. You keep all the bits that fall out on the edge. Keep them going in there. Keep the fire burning. It's a tiny, tiny little thing to throw a small piece of wood onto the fire. But if you don't keep throwing small pieces of wood onto the fire, the fire will go out. In a sense, there is a way in which all of our our responsibility and all of our sin and all of our rebellion contributes in those tiny ways to this overall challenge of the human race, which is rebellion against God. God says that that is going to be judged. It's a good thing. You need it. And because I'm just, I will make sure that it happens because I need it as well. So the first thing that we see is do not judge. Yet the next thing that we see sounds initially like it's saying, but here's a way that you can judge. Jesus uses a metaphor. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? We've heard this. This has kind of fallen into um, kind of cultural language, isn't it? The speck of dust in your eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's a really powerful metaphor, isn't it? Have you, you, I'm sure every one of us pretty much in the room must have had a speck of dust in our eye at some point in our lives. And uh, how does it work? Uh, you just kind of, you know, riding your bike as I have, riding your bike along and the next thing you get a speck of dust in your eye or... Uh, a fly goes in your eye or something, and it's a tiny little thing, but within an instant, your eyes water and you can't see. And you've got a speck of, speck of something in this eye, but both eyes are streaming and it's all happening. You can't see a thing. Look at the picture that Jesus is saying. There's a speck in one eye, and yet there's a plank 
in your own eye. If, if it's really difficult to see with a speck, it's impossible to see with a plank in your own eye. It's just impossible. You can't hope to do it. In fact, the idea is that if a speck causes your eye to make it difficult to see, a plank is so big that it obliterates the ability to see. You can't possibly see it's so big. Do you see the idea that Jesus is portraying? It is, humanly of course, impossible to get a plank in your eye, isn't it? Precisely. That's just what he's saying. It is impossible, but if you possibly could, you wouldn't see a thing. And the idea that we see is this caricatured picture, again, the idea of one person who's got a complete inability to see because they've got planks in their eye trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. It's just an impossibility. Yet Jesus says this, if you were to remove the plank from your eye, then you would be able to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think that's phenomenally important. Imagine, because because it sounds like when we read that, it sounds like this, and I, I believe that Jesus isn't saying this. It sounds like if you just remove the plank, then you're free to judge That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Because he's already been talking about judging, don't judge, and now he's relating it to, in a kind of similar way, if you were able to remove your problem, then you could criticize the person with the speck. However, I think that this is what it means. It's that sense of, imagine the sheer relief of having a plank removed from your eye. You know, it's bad enough when a speck goes in. And it's really difficult. Your eye's watering with a speck. When a plank is removed, there is sheer gratitude and relief. Desperate relief. In other words, from blindness to sight, that ability to have an unbelievable freedom. When that happens, when we truly know that kind of relief, when we truly know what it is like to receive that kind of grace, we are equipped to become helpers rather than criticizers. That's what Jesus is saying. If you know what it is like to have this terrible problem removed, then your attitude to the person who has a speck in their eye is firstly, you're able to see now that what they've got in their eye is a speck. And I had a plank in my eye. I had a plank. But now it's been relieved. But you know what? I remember what that plank was like. And now having had it relieved... My attitude to the person who has a speck in their eye is not one of condemning judgment. It's one of grace-filled help. I want to encourage us. 
and they want to challenge us at the same time. This has a powerful, practical way of working itself out in our pattern of living with each other. When we truly know, when we really know what it is to receive the grace of Jesus in our lives, we understand this. Number one, I understand that relatively speaking, what I've had removed from my spiritual eye is a plank, not a speck. It's what I feel. It's what I feel about my life. When I understand what God has done in my life, the forgiveness that I have received, it's a plank that's been removed. So my attitude then is, anybody else who comes into my circle of contact, who I see has a speck in their eye, my attitude is in humble service and supporting encouragement. I want to help them to remove that speck. Because I, have, I remember what the plank was like and I have no right to judge. But I have every right to want to help. See the difference? Do you see the remarkable difference? Do you see how that attitude changes the language that we use about each other? Changes the way we talk about other people? changes the way we perceive other people in their challenges and their difficulties. We start to realize that others that are challenged, they've got specks in their eye compared to my understanding of the plank in my eye. Why? Why is that? Why is it that somebody else has this speck in their eye, whereas I know that I've had a plank in my eye? When others might say, Actually, from my point of view, your speck was a tiny speck. Theirs is quite a big speck. Why is that? Why is it that we know that we've got the plank? Because we know deeper, don't we? We know deeper. We know what God has really done in my life. I know what God has really done in my life. And it, it makes me shudder to realize what I am without Him. And that is hidden. The attitudes and the motives and the sheer obnoxiousness of what is hidden from most makes me know that what I had was a plank. What I continue to exhibit in my day-to-day -day life is planks. <laughs> it's what it's like. So don't be fooled into thinking that we can weigh up how we see ourselves comparing with everybody else and therefore we have a right to judge other people. We need to change our attitude, change our conversations, change our desire to help each other and we can do that when we are empowered to understand what we have been forgiven for. What was really going on? Hidden below the surface. But it was way more problematic than anybody else sees. And the glory is this, that Jesus says that once you've removed that plank, then you are able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's saying, don't, you know, if, if judgment is inappropriate for you, but appropriate for me, in other words, judgment isn't a bad thing, it's just who's located to be able to deliver it. 
then help isn't an inappropriate thing either. Grace and mercy isn't an inappropriate thing either. It's good that we should be seeking to help each other. It's good that we should be seeking to change our language regarding each other. It's good that we should be looking at the challenges that we each face and see them as specks rather than planks. We need to do that, but we don't sit back. We say, now, I want to help. You know, it's, it's a time-consuming business sometimes, getting a speck out of someone's eye, isn't it? You know, it's, they're, they're kind of slippery things. You can't, they move around as soon as you blink. It's kind of moved from the bottom to the top and you, you're kind of juggling with it. And, and it's a great picture, actually. That moment when two people recognize that there's a challenge and one is giving themselves to the other in patient support and encouragement. I want you to help me get this out of my eye. I need some help. I need some encouragement. I need your guidance. And the other person turns around and says, well, you know, I'm not sure I've got the time. Because I know what it's like trying to get those specks out. They're, they're slippery suckers. I'm not going to work with you. I'm, going to, I'm sorry, too busy. Or is it I'm going to stick with you? I'm going to just hang in there and stay with you and encourage you and support you. Not because I think I'm better, but because I want to express the kind of love that Jesus has shown me. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus becomes the appropriate judge, listen to what he says about himself in John chapter 12. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Isn't that interesting? He says when he was on the earth, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge that person. I do, while he's here, that's what he says. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Isn't that great news? Jesus came as a grace-filled giver. He came with all of the authority of God himself and the authority of heaven. And he says, live like this. And, and I don't know how many people were on the mountainside listening on to this conversation going on, but there would have been hundreds who would have worked, walked away and said, not interested, and Jesus says, I've not come to judge you, I've come to save you. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on that day. Who by? <laughs> By Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? The one person, Jesus, becomes the one who is able to say, I've come not to judge you. While I'm here, I have come to save you. And yet at the same time, I am also, we've already seen it, he is also the one who ultimately will come to judge you. Isn't that only Jesus could fulfill both of those roles. Only Jesus could be both the Savior and the Judge. Because only Jesus has the credibility and the moral authority and the righteousness to fulfill both of those roles. Only Jesus can do both. So I can't save you. 
I can't ever act in that priestly capacity and absolve you of your sins. But I can point you to somebody who can. So I can't save you, but nor can I judge you. But I can help you. You can't save anybody else, but you can point somebody to the one who can save. And you can't judge anybody else, but you can certainly help somebody as they seek to resolve the challenges of their walk day by day. But Jesus can do both. Isn't that remarkable? He is both the grace-filled help and the appropriate judge. Finally, this is kind of the turning point in this sermon. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw to pearls, the, your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is that? What? It's just like this sentence that seems to be just thrown in there. What, how does that work? What is Jesus saying? I think he's saying this, listen. To want to live like this is a treasure. To want to walk the walk of life like this is a treasure. It's a precious thing. But the walk is the outcome of being righteous. Now, righteous not by our activity, but righteous by our acceptance. In other words, the pattern of life comes out of the fact that we've already trusted in Jesus. Pearls and uh, sorry, pearls and dogs, dogs and pigs, really evocative description for Jews of Jesus' day. Everybody who wasn't a Jew was called a dog. Jesus uses that phrase later on when he's talking to Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. And, and pigs were the unclean creature, continue to be the unclean creature which Jews cannot eat. Jesus says, in other words, don't give this treasure, this privilege of living this righteous life to those outside. Don't give it. Because if you make it a moral crusade, you lose the value of the treasure. If you make it, try and make everybody moral and upright and doing the right thing, it's like taking your treasure and giving it to somebody who hasn't actually loved the one who has called you to do it. And when you try to give that to them, what they will do is they will trample it. And then turn and devour you. Because the Christian life is not a moral crusade. It is not a moral crusade. And if you make it a moral crusade, it's like taking a treasure, giving it to somebody who doesn't value it, and they'll walk all over it. Trample it into the mud. The Christian life is a treasure which comes out of being in relationship with Jesus. First and foremost, the implications of that verse are massive, which we haven't got time to go into tonight. But just think about this. Take it home with you. Ponder it. When we make the Christian message 
some kind of moral crusade that everybody adheres to first, we lose sight of the treasure that it is. Yet when we make following Jesus first priority, we make righteous living a valuable thing. Whenever we portray the Christian faith like it's the way that everybody should live without loving Jesus, we make it a pearl which is cast into the mud and trodden down. But when we make the gospel of Jesus first and foremost, which changes our lives, we make it a treasure worth keeping. The implications are big. Think about it. Ponder it. But the top and bottom for every one of us here tonight, we all place ourselves in some way as hearers of Jesus. On that mountainside, there were those who were saying, listening, thinking, responding to what he was saying. And he comes to this point, he says, don't judge. And we could walk away and say, I'm never ever going to judge. I'm going to live that pattern of life. And we would be the ones who would be trampling that treasure into the ground when we just take away the moral life. But when we take away the total desire to be righteous before God, the love of knowing Jesus, the privilege and treasure of what it is, and allow that to permeate our lives so that little by little we change. We realize it is a valuable thing to walk the walk of life.